Welcome to episode 47 of Central Intelligence Cinema. Today, we are bringing you our second Rush Pass review, this time of the 1966 spy spoof, Our Man Flint. But without further ado, take it away, Pierce. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. <laughs> Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Do you expect me to talk? I'm in the middle of an interrogation. This moron is giving me everything. Yeah, baby! A special agent, you're not having a very special day, are you? But remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. Tom, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. The state will self-destruct in five seconds. Recording from an undisclosed location, fully sanctioned by the Zonal Organization World Intelligence Espionage. Hey! Zowie! <laughs> it's the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. I'm Jason Greenberg, and with me, as always, Ben Esslinger. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. And welcome back to the CIC, the spy movie podcast that is currently covered in cold cream. Not just any kind of cream. Cold, exotica. Exotica cold cream. cold cream. Yes, yes, indeed. By the drum load. <laughs> yes, because we are back for yet another Brush Pass review. And uh, we got a humdinger today, boy. <laughs> we are covering Our Man Flint, the 1966 spy movie spoof starring uh, James Coburn. <laughs> and it's... Uh, it's quite a movie. <laughs> it's, it's a humdinger. Indeed, indeed. Very excited to uh, get a little quick review in for you. This is our second one of this type where we literally watch the movie and then immediately come down into the undisclosed location and uh, chit-chat about it. So we hope you enjoy. But uh, shall we get into it, my friend? Let's do it. Wait a minute. There's something going on here. And here. And here that one man and only one man can solve. The world is in turmoil. Frenzied diplomats turn to their computers and come up with the one individual on Earth who can snatch victory from defeat. Flint! 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 And here he is, the total man. Our man, Flint. James Coburn. Don't let that sleepy look fool you girls. Our man Flint can handle everything. He fences for breakfast, karate's for lunch, dances for dinner, kisses anytime, visits the most sensational places. He's as much at home in the Casbah as he is in the boudoir, or anywhere else for that matter. Okay, Our Man Flint, released in 1966. Just as a, for reference, Thunderball had been released the year before, so you can see all of the inspirations there. Totally. 
So uh, directed by Michael or Michael Mann, directed by Daniel Mann. Definitely a different movie if Michael Mann had directed this. <laughs> yeah. Directed by Daniel Mann, who did uh, known for the Rose Tattoo and The Last Angry Man, but also directed two Dean Martin movies, Who's Got the Action and Who's Been Sleeping in My Bed, which were right before the Matt Helm movies. So that all tracks for me. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a guy who worked with Dean Martin right before Dean Martin really wanted to do a spy movie, and then he made Our Man Flint. <laughs> that all tracks real good. Written by uh, Hal Fimberg who uh, started in vaudeville, apparently. Um, he wrote both Flint movies. He, it was kind of his brainchild. And Ben Starr helped write it, who did a ton of TV stuff. Mr. Ed, My Favorite Martian, Different Strokes. Right. The dude was a big name in TV for like 30 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, apparently this guy knows how to write TV. And apparently movies that kind of feel like TV shows. And were shot like TV, TV shows. <laughs> As far as photography, again, it's just, it does feel like a TV show. The, the whole, whole, the whole, the, yeah, I, it feels like there was very little attempt to make this feel cinematic in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> it feels like, like kind of like the most expensive version of Star Trek from the '60s, and they filmed it in CinemaScope, so it was such a waste. <laughs> <laughs> of putting it in that large screen wide box format right <laughs> for for something that visually equals the Batman 1966 movie yeah very much so very much so so as far as photography goes cinematography was by Daniel L Fapp who did the great escape west side story unsinkable molly brown so so the guy <laughs> We what? had, they had an incredible cinematographer. Yes. yes. And yet we got our man Flint. We got, we, we got Batman 1966. Yeah. The only thing we didn't have was James Colburn running around in a, in a cowl holding a bomb trying to get oh, rid of it over his head. Yeah. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. No. Oh my God. Art direction was by Ed Graves and uh, Jack Martin Smith who between the two of them had worked on Cleopatra, uh, Dr. Doolittle, Planet of the Apes, and... Batman 1966. There you go. I, you know, <laughs> and you look at all these things. Okay, Cleopatra, probably one of the largest, most expensive productions in Hollywood ever, depending on how you adjust for inflation. Right. Sets and costumes galore. Dr. Doolittle had had some animals. Um, Planet of the Apes Planet of the Apes really didn't have a whole lot going on for it It had basically a Flintstones village And a lot of fur clothing (laughs) Well Planet of the Apes is very much like uh, Another very expensive Star Trek movie Right, it looked like it was made on a TV set Except for the stuff they filmed in Utah When they were walking through Right. So I mean, it's funny that these two guys Straddled between actually being able to do Gigantic production yeah. And Batman 1966. <laughs> well, and this is very, I mean, I feel like this is very of the times. I agree. You know, this was when that machine was going in the 60s where they were just cranking out films. Oh, yeah. And, and the TV stuff was very indistinguishable from the movies, unless right. there was a lot of location shoots. Yeah. So by the numbers, the budget was $3.525 million, and I think it shows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they spent all 0. 0.525 of that 5.525. Yeah. And the movie made $16 million, which is a... 
fantastic return on investment. No doubt. Uh, Adjusted for inflation, that means that in today's numbers, it would have been like a $32 million budget making $149 million. So that is incredible. And it, I mean, it's it's so entertaining. It's such an entertaining movie. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it, I think it has to go without saying. I mean, the plot of the movie is supposed to be a spoof anyway. Right. So a lot of the tongue-in-cheeky stuff you can kind of get away with just by the nature of what it is. Yeah. And then there's some very solid sets that are also in this thing, but also location stuff. Right. You could, I don't, it's like when you would watch Benny Hill and he would go to videotape when they were on the stage, <laughs> but when they would show the guy running around to the, <laughs> it was film. You could, there's a lot of British stuff that's like that, where it's videotape on the stage, film outside. Right. That's what this felt like. Every time they got an exterior they could actually use, it's really well shot and nice. But yeah. all the interiors look like they came out of Mission Impossible. Right. The TV show, not the Tom Cruise movie. Yes. Well, it's like the... Uh there's that one scene where Flint is outside in this fantasy land right. of the of the three scientists... It's like the utopia or whatever. Right. And that area looks really good. Like the painting that they used. Yeah, and, the matte painting in the background. Right, and then the little tram. Work. Yeah, the tram coming through, which for its time looked great. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So music, uh, the music was by Jerry Goldsmith, who uh, might have- Uncle Jerry. Yeah, he played a, he made a little ditty you may have heard of called the Star Trek theme. I mean, the guy is kind of- Legendary. Well, the I mean, Star Trek movie theme. Let's let's not diss Alexander Courage. He uh, did the okay, TV okay, theme. Okay, okay, okay. But the one that you hear on the Next Generation. Yes. That, that's the one that he wrote. Right. Got to credit. I got to. Mr. Courage doesn't get a whole lot of uh, play. You know. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> also, Jerry Goldsmith may have done the music for a lot of movies you also heard of. So. Yes, yes, lots. Uh, if you lots look up his, his oeuvre. Well, a- <laughs> you know, Chris, I don't know how you say that. So maybe if you can let me know how you pronounce that <laughs> word. Um, but if you look him up on the IMDBs, you're going to be like, oh, he did everything John Williams didn't do. Okay, very yeah. good. Well, and it's just funny. Again, we've got a budget of $3.525 million. We've got Jerry Goldsmith doing the music. Mm-hmm. We have got the guy who did... The Great Escape, West Side Story, and Unsickable Molly Brown in cinematography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we got our man Flint. <laughs> it's, it's almost amazing how this movie ended up being so unquality with that many people in it. Well, here's the thing. it's I feel like production value-wise, if you don't look at... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say this. If it does feel like TV, but it feels like really expensive TV Correct. for for the sixties. Correct. It it, has, it doesn't seem like it's cheap. Right. It just seems like it's of its era and its type. Yes. And it just there's a there's a distinct TV quality in the sets. <laughs> yes. And some of the sixties psychedelic crap they were trying to cram into it. Yeah. That just felt very pop culture and referential to things you were seeing on TV at the time. Right. And I almost it could have been an intentional choice because of yeah. the nature of what it was. Yeah. But yeah, some of the sets I just I <laughs> I digress. (laughs) So as far as our main character, obviously we've got Derek Flint, played by James Coburn, who it just, I cannot get over. This is not, I'm sorry, but James Coburn is not an attractive man. (laughs) I mean, not that I have any way to talk, you know, like I have a face for radio, but this man is supposed to be James Bond. And he, he looks like a combination between David Carradine and... 
I don't know. Leonard Nimoy? And Leonard Nimoy. That's what he looks like to me. He does not look smooth and suave enough. But he does smile a lot. (laughs) With those big choppers. Big old teeth. (laughs) He just kind of moves like a monkey. And he's just... (laughs) But somehow, he just, you know, he just... Big smile on his face. I mean... Confidence will get you a long way. (laughs) I mean, you know, like with the costume and everything, you have to admit, he kind of had a swagger of his own. It was a little odd. Well, you know... he looked like he was the coolest guy in any room he was in. That's true. And you know what it is? (laughs) can't believe I'm saying this. He's got a bit of BDE, I think. (laughs) Like like pre-Jeff Goldblum BDE. (laughs) Like he's... He was Jeff Goldblum before Jeff Goldblum was Jeff Goldblum. Uh, 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 that, that, that could be. Uh, you know, I watched this movie when I was a kid and it was wonderful. <laughs> uh, as far as some of the other characters, we've got uh, Gila, played by Gila Golan, who was in Three on a Couch and I Dream of Genie. You know, um, those masterpieces of whatever they were. Right. But... Uh, Holy smokes, because you looked it up. She was, uh, she was what, Miss Israel? Miss, Miss Israel, 1961. Yeah, she's gorgeous. She's very attractive. Very beautiful um, woman. And uh, a pretty decent performance for yeah. what they gave her. And kudos to them for giving her a bit more than what you might expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a definite under semi-feminist undercurrent in this Yeah, film. there's a little bit of progressiveness going on. For a ni- movie in 1966, you had... A female character that wasn't just eye candy. She was actively involved. Granted, towards the end, she sort of towards went. The, yeah, you know, they kind of she went that way. They, they put her into the whole. Oh, you've changed me over to the light side of the. Oh, force you've saved me. You saved me, Flint. Now I want to be exactly girl number five in your harem. <laughs> exactly. But she went toe to toe with the dude antagonist in this. Right. Um, and was basically in charge. Literally, they she was in charge of the operation until. The bosses fired her. Right. And I mean, there's a lot of other things going on here. With, I mean, we had a pretty diverse cast for yeah. a 60s movie. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of uh, different colors of the rainbow, as it Indeed. were, flying yes. around in there. And the uh, person doing the Morse code, whatever. Yeah. That. One of the the army officers was a captain, was a black lady. Yeah. Um, and and I got to point this out. This is po- or pre-Star Trek. So yeah. it wasn't like somebody was saying, oh, you know, this was, uh, let's do like they do in Star Trek. Right. Somebody made a conscious effort to make this be a more inclusive movie in 1966. And probably because it was supposed to be everything that wasn't James Bond. Yeah. So I think that was a direct jab at what you were seeing in the Bond films at the time. Absolutely. Well, and there's a, there's a couple different jabs at James Bond oh, in there this There are movie. a lot. There's some very apparent ones. Well, the, the, the outright one where she's reading the book that's a, basically a James Bond ripoff and she's like da, 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 you know just well, that's I forget the thing. what she it, says it was but the she's... autobiography of 0008 who is yes. the Bond character in this movie right but anyway yes the aforementioned uh, harem of Mr. Flint right <laughs> we've got Leslie played by Shelby Grant who was in Batman 1966 yep. uh, Fantastic Voyage and My Three Sons amidst uh, a litany of other uh, credits probably i bet you like all of them probably a 20th century fox contract player right just plugged her in where they needed her exactly uh anna the uh i believe that's the blonde yep uh sigrid valdez who was in hogan's heroes and married to bob crane hogan himself hey there you go yeah. gina 
uh, played by Gianna Serra. Most of her credits are just foreign language films. I didn't find a lot on her. And then Sakito, however, played by uh, Helen Funai, she has a huge resume. She's been in tons of stuff. She was in I Spy before this. Uh, she was in Murder's Row after this with Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. She was in. She was a regular on the Mission Impossible show. She had. She appeared in Mash, Sanford and Son. I mean, the list just goes on and on with her. She's. I think she's still active today. So fair enough. Other characters that we run into: uh, Cramden, who is the M equivalent, right? Uh, played by uh, Lee J. Cobb, and he he's ha- he has a huge resume. Oh, as he well. absolutely I mean, does. It's so weird to see a character or character actor like that in a movie. Like this. Exactly. Someone who was in 12 Angry Men. On the waterfront. Right. These huge exodus, massive movies, and then he's in Our Man Flint. (laughs) But he usually plays the same thing. He's usually either like a businessman or a government type. Right. In the film. So, I mean, that's what they were going for. Right. And it tracks. And then we've... (laughs) I had to put this in here because it's so silly that there's a character in this movie called Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber before... The diehard Hans Gruber. <laughs> and nowhere near as charming or uh, eloquent. <laughs> yeah. Sir. <laughs> this one is played by Michael St. Clair, although he d- he did appear in Mission Impossible and Man from Uncle, um, but I think he had the same type of roles. Yeah, in- he's, he's a bald Austrian man. The only thing he was doing in the 60s was playing bad guys. Yeah, he's some- just playing a henchman somewhere. I mean, he, he looked like he was a quality. He could play henchman all the way up to the guy in charge of the organization. Right. But that's all he was on that curve. Right, exactly. Uh, and then the main bad guy, uh, Malcolm Rodney, played by Edward Mulher. Yes. Of uh, Knight Rider fame. Yes. <laughs> Your mission, Michael. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Michael, don't take the car out and destroy it. it. It's Kit, man. I'm fine. He'll be put back together by the next episode. <laughs> so, uh, Jason, hmm? what was your first uh, reaction to the film? <laughs> My first reaction? <laughs> watching the opening credits, and I'm like, well, that's that's definitely Bond credits there for sure. <laughs> but uh, you know, the, so the opening scene is him learning about the global warming device, and they're all it looks like the UN in a room. Just to- hilarious that the threat is global warming, right? It was '66. Nobody thought about it, and now it's like, well, <laughs> too late for that. Didn't need an evil genius to do that. <laughs> yeah, it just needed eight million people or eight billion people on the Earth, right, <laughs> to no. screw it all up together. Honestly, that opening scene, which doesn't have our bad guy or a good guy in it, doesn't really have our bad guys in it. It's just a, it's basically exposition to tell you what the movie's about. Right. I'm like, well, that kind of tells me what I'm in for. <laughs> It gets the job it did, done. It did make me want to stop watching. Right, right. And it is interesting that they don't have like an actual pre-title sequence a la Bond. Right. Well, again, it's the anti-Bond movie. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the, while the title credits were Bondian and the fact that there's a naked woman jumping on a trampoline. Um, <laughs> and licking an ice cream and cone. And licking an ice cream that cone. That one was... Boy, when I saw that, I was like, ooh, okay, they're really pushing this sucker. Right. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't the elaborate ones. And I, I mean get by Thunderball, I think we were getting mostly naked women dancing around That's anyway. That's true. This one's very vague, like you can barely see their imagery. Yeah, it's very it's 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 almost like they over contrasted the image. 
Exactly. So all you're seeing is the whites because then they photo negatived it. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's not the first time I've watched this movie. Uh, it has been quite a, a long time since the last time I watched it. So I knew what I was getting into anyway. Right. But, you know, first impressions, yeah, it's what I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. It is funny, too, how when you... Kind of the first thing that they do when we finally cut into the actual movie and we see James Coburn doing karate and what have you, and they're and they're trying to get... Fl- oh, I'm trying to remember. They have the... What is it called? The Zowie? The, the Zonal? Yeah, the Zonal... Hold on a second. <laughs> I know you all think I do this right off the top of my head. I actually had to use notes for this one. The Zonal Organization World Intelligence Espionage. Yes. It's even worse than S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) So, Zowie. Zowie. Zowie uh, decides through the use of a very high-tech computer. um, (laughs) Which which is, in fact, a computer. It's just I had to remind myself that the origin of the word computer does not mean electronic it means computing but here's the thing data it means in the the (laughs) trivia that i was looking at they said that it very much was the function of how computers worked that that the what they were representing yeah was fairly realistic it's just the card data that was coming out was and going in was total garbage oh yeah because there weren't (laughs) there were no punches on there there was nothing for the computers to run right but you literally go into a a room full of women operating punch cards also, which was probably realistic because they relegated that to secretarial work. Right. Um, making this gigantic room-sized computer system right. compute. <laughs> which is so funny because I think all they really did was vote. Well, no. So they all added what their ideal man was. Each oh, one of the like, delegates. Like attributes yeah, or whatever. Yeah, what attributes do you think we need to run this thing? And it all came back with one man's name. Derek Flint. Derek Flint. Derek Flint. Derek Flint. Derek Flint. And of course, uh, his boss. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, such uh, Cram- a great moment. Cramden is super unhappy about this choice because he's got a history with Flint. Right. And they don't get along at all. And, and he's completely reluctant to do all this. And that's, of course, when we get the phone call from the president. And the which, red phone. The red phone with the exact same ring on it as... You hear in Austin Powers. When his phone rings. Which was definitely one of those moments for us where we were like, oh, that's where I got uh, it from. <laughs> I mean, I think we could go on record right now as saying that Austin Powers owns owes everything about its success to this movie. Absolutely. Because. 100%. I mean, there's a lot. He Mike Myers borrows a lot more from James Bond in the Austin Power movies in general. But the tone. But the tone yeah. owes it to this because. You basically, Derek Flint is Austin Powers. 100%. Except he's more capable. Well, he's he's super more capable. Yeah. But he's sort of like this, not a rogue agent, but he's not really affiliated. Right. But he's he works independent. with an organization. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like he used to be, he used to work for the government. I don't know in the government or whether he just contracted. All I know is that he's very rich and that now he's just out on his own. He's and, just out on his own. Yes. So- yeah, this giant computer computes that the one man for the job is Derek Flint and Cramden doesn't want to do it. But then immediately we get the phone call from the president and then we quickly, he picks up some piece of paper that's got a bug on it with a microphone that's had been listening to the whole conversation in the room right. that clearly the president was listening to. And so that's when the president calls and goes, just get Flint. Right. <laughs> so... So then we cut to Flint. 
And he's doing karate. He's doing karate. He's doing some serious white guy karate. And he's ignoring the hell out of all of these army guys that are trying to get his attention. It was very much one of those long jokes that you hear as a kid where it's like, it's the same setup over and over again. And the same sort of result happens until something changes at the very end of it. It's like one of those long drawn out jokes. That's what this whole feels like when all these generals are coming to visit Flint over and over again, trying to get him to help them. And he's like, he just sort of shushes them yeah. and then walks away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not having anything to do with right. it. Right. So first we get him doing karate and he shushes the guy. Then he's doing fencing and then he shushes the guy. And then I think the president tells... Uh, tells Cramden and he tell needs to go do it. Himself. Himself. So then he comes out to his house or, or his flat, wherever he's, he's at. He's got an apartment in the Upper West Side yeah, of Manhattan. And, yeah, it's very fancy. It's very... It's it's not Austin Powers, but it's not far off from Austin. Yeah, it's Powers. definitely at the shag pad. No. But you know, you walk in and it, it, it's just like this combination of arabesques and <laughs> '60s color and lighting. It's it's very Matt Helm too. Like sure, like Matt Helm, I think took a lot from Flint as well. It could very well be, but it it looks like your stereotypical bachelor pad from the '60s. Yes, complete with uh, rotating artworks. Oh, maybe you don't like nudes, he says. So he pushes a button, and it goes from three nudes all the way to a Jackson Pollock painting. Right. Which, by the way... Terrible decision. It, yeah, I would have just left the nudes. Um, but Also the circular bed. The circular bed with all the little gadgets inside it. Right, and then in the doorway when, when he's waiting for flint to uh, let him in and there's the 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 eye hole camera thing in the in the giant painting or yep. whatever and of course he's got this like super advanced glass yeah, screen yeah. holographic glass screen like it's out of iron man <laughs> projecting a black and white image no yes <laughs> it's not even color it's not even color because <laughs> it's a 60s man that's right <laughs> and this is kind of where we get that whole uh, I find it interesting that at the beginning of this movie, they really try and establish over and over and over again that Flint knows everything, everything. about everything. everything. He knows everything you could possibly imagine about everything. He knows how to fence. He knows karate. He knows how to make the perfect bouillabaisse. He knows. Well, he knows the ingredients in the right proportion for where the bouillabaisse was made. That's right. Where the geographic location of where said bouillabaisse was made. He knows a lot of shit. <laughs> so, oh, and I forgot actually too. Even the the visit from from Cramden, he has to come back a second time to punctuate the joke yet again. Right. When the president basically says no. Hop back in the yeah. plane. Go back in there yeah. and beg him. He gets off of a government plane. Goes in. The red phone is now portable. Don't even hear him talking. He just, uh-huh, nod, nod, hands the phone back, turns around, gets back on the airplane. Right. Kind of great. Yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic. But at the same time, I, I found myself watching it going, wow, all that for this is the punchline for all right. this other stuff we well, just it's saw. It's like, it's like we have one joke. How long can we stretch it? Right. How long can we stretch it? And of course, you know, so he gets in there and he makes his pitch. I think it's the first time he makes a pitch when we meet all the girls. Yeah, he, when he's getting shaved. Yeah. And, so, and then and then the other girl comes in. and I don't even know what's in that book that he's picking out, whether that's his suit or. <laughs> well, no. So he comes out and one girl gets ready to shave him. And it's funny because like the whole shaving kit's behind the chair. She gets the shaving cream. <laughs> right. She's putting it on. Then another girl comes out 
with like a ledger. Right. That's that what it is. He has, has to, to sign the ledger. And then he kisses her in his weird James Coburn kissing On the thing. cheek, mostly. Right, right. But it's all like stretching my lips out as much as I can. <laughs> it's so weird. Kisses. We're going to get into that, too. And he kisses her and he says something like to the effect of like, later, baby. You know? Total right. innuendo indicating I'm gonna stunk you later. I'm like, <laughs> well, what about what about the what about the girl that's shaved? You're not even giving her and then right. another girl comes walking in yes. and holding a suit. Yes, he's like, Oh, that's that's perfect. That's that perfect, it's perfect. And then kisses her in his weird cheek kissy way and <laughs> later, baby. Right. And then another girl comes out, and this was the again. It's an Asian lady, so you know we're we're mixing it up with sure with all the white chicks that are floating around <laughs> in there. And I don't even remember what she brought him, but it was I don't either. something else to review. Kisses her on the cheek weirdly later, baby, right. and then off she goes. And 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 Cramden is so flustered by all of this, right. he can't handle the fact that he lives in this lap of luxury and and just continues to go about his business while he's being tended to. Right. And Cramden just loses his shit and leaves. And then when he comes back the second time, Flint is going to dinner and dancing, apparently, with with his four women. Right. It makes this huge scene in this I ballroom. Walks Table in with number his, one for Mr. Flint. <laughs> yes, with his harem of four women. Right. All just, yeah. <laughs> And they're all wearing table these, for five. They're all wearing these dresses that look like they were cobbled out of bed sheets. Yeah, they're and, so and big, and yeah. And then he he proceeds to dance with each of them one by one. It's just fantastic, as you do, as you do. And then in the meantime, we're there, and you know the band's playing, and there's a harpist, and behind the stage, we we see Hans. Gruber <laughs> along with Gira Gila or Gila because at this point Gila is still like on the on the bad team yeah and this is where you're basically getting introduced to the initial bad guys of the of right the, of the show right so so Gila is getting into costume and putting on a, a wig to look blonde because she's gonna they're gonna replace the harpist and she's getting this poison dart and then we get the silliest thing ever. Oh my god! She uses the harp as a bow and arrow to shoot the dart and she's aiming with the harp <laughs> like yeah she's sort of panning it this way and that and that's when uh cramden shows up and of course cramden gets, gets the a dart, dart in the arm so and of course again flint who knows everything knows exactly how to slice into this guy's arm also he rips his, his he, sleeve he rips his sleeve he rips like he's the hulk or right, something right, right, right. Like, like it's nothing not at all just <laughs> not at slices all. in oh that's the other thing he's got that silly key with yeah, the, the key little, with a knife in it. Yeah, the old-timey key that just has, happens to have a <laughs> knife in it, which he uses, which apparently is is clean. Well, no, 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 because he got the candle from one of the oh, girls you're right. and sterilized you're it. You're right. He sterilized did sterilize it. it. They did do their homework on that one. So <laughs> he slices in and apparently must have squeezed out, yeah, out that, of his blood I thought or he something. was going to do the whole, you know, snake bite thing. Right. Suck on it and spit it out thing. But I think Flint's a little too cool for that. Right. And besides, we see what he does with his lips. That would have been disgusting. <laughs> it would have been. So I don't even want to. I don't want to <laughs> imagine that in my head. Yeah. But uh, so <clears throat> he takes it personally. So he's like, "All right, I'm going to join because they tried to kill me." Right. At this Not point, because of God, country, or anything else. No, because now my life is in danger because right. people are trying to kill me. 
So now I have to stop this force that's come against me, not right. my country. I don't right. give a shit about all that. Again, very anti-James Bond. Yes, yes. Mr. King and Country and right. what have you. So then, you know, I, I just it, it just kind of continues on that way where we get scene after scene of him kind of proving that he knows far more than everyone else in the room, no matter what scene it is. Yeah, no matter the situation. You know, whether it's the guards that are uh, guarding Cramden outside his office, he's like, well, if you look under his eye, you can see that they've had surgery to be, to look like your actual guards. Well, or he points out they all have Battle of the Bulge awards on their coats, Which but there there's no was. such thing. And yet, if there's something that doesn't exist... How does he know that it's incorrect if it doesn't exist? How does he know that's a Battle of the Bulge award? Yeah. If there's no such thing. Like he's in his travels, he's run into a phony Battle of the Bulge award again. It's totally, there's some very absurdist <laughs> moments in this movie. And this is definitely one of them where he's so smart that it's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> All the time. It just seems to yeah, happen over and over again. Ending. I mean, he's, he obviously has physical attributes, but they're definitely playing up on the fact that James Bond knows everything. Yes. And he, they do it to the point where it's like, okay, well, he's definitely a smart guy. You don't always get that Bond's a smart guy. It's just a guy who knows things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like they literally, towards the end of the movie, they're like trying, the bad guys are trying to convince Flint to become uh, a scientist right along with him. Right. Right. Because they realize how smart he actually is. Right. Right. But I feel like Bond, the difference is Bond has good instincts. Yes. I feel like that's what Bond has. And he knows a thing or two about a thing or two, but he's not intelligent the way that Flint is. No, no, no. He's, he's definitely, he, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a tactician, but he's not like a gigantic intellect. Right. He exactly. knows what he needs to know because he had to learn it for a mission. And he probably retains it. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, he's not doing rocket science, <laughs> particle <laughs> physics. Right. He just understands enough about rocket science and particle physics to talk about it with a martini in his hand. Right. And to go along with the whole knowing everything, they get the uh, schematics or the or the makeup of the poison dart that hit right? Cramden. And it's got, uh, what has it got like? Uh, so basically, uh, it, it analyzes what the poison is. But then yes. they find trace elements of garlic, saffron, and... Was it like clove or something? I don't some know. Some other kind of seasoning. Right. And he's like, well, what's the... Uh, what, what's are, what, are the what are the percentages? Right. <laughs> as soon as he finds out the percentage, he's like, well, I'll have you know that that's the basic makeup of bouillabaisse, but from the area in... Uh, well, then he first says... The average bouillabaisse has a ratio of this, this. to this to this. <laughs> yeah. This particular one is actually only common to the area of Marseille, France. Blah, 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 blah. So blah, then blah, he blah, goes blah. off to France. Right. And tastes three yeah. or four. They just show him going into restaurant <laughs> after restaurant <laughs> just, to just taste the bouillabaisse. One of them, and what? they serve it, and he doesn't even taste it. Right. He just looks at it and goes, nope, that ain't right. Hands on the money, and off he goes. <laughs> That's right. It's... <laughs> There's a lot of gags like that in this thing. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So then they wind up in this uh, gritty jazz club type thing. Oh, and it... Almost well, something you'd see in New Orleans. Well, you know, and they did say that, that there was some writing in here where they were originally going to put him in New Orleans. Oh, okay. But then they didn't. But this place reminded me 
of the bar scene from Airplane, where they do the Saturday Night Live disco thing with all the thugs and everything. It just felt like the exact same stage. And it's so great. I love the the meetup with Triple O Eight. Triple O Eight, who was supposedly too busy to take this mission. Yes, yes. And where do we find him? He's being all gropey, gropey with the, uh, the stripper, with the burlesque dancer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if that's supposed to be because Triple O Eight is supposed to be out of hand, or if it's just his way of sort of letting. Flint know that he's there. I, I think it was both. Obviously, it was a homage to because right. when you see how Flint is, he's very respectful with all the women that he's he with. He is. He doesn't force himself on anybody. They all kind of want. They want to be with him so and whatever the roles are. Very well, have been a critique. It was, but it was also a plot point so that he could get to Flint and give him his information while right. they had a fake fight because <laughs> Flint didn't. It was supposed to take umbrage with him manhandling the the dancer. Right. Exactly. So, so then, yeah, they have the fake fight and like in the moments where they're huddled together, he's like, oh, good to see you again, Flint. Oh, good to see you, Triple O-8. Right. <laughs> and this guy that they got <laughs> looks so much looks like so Connery. Looks so much like Sean Connery. It's almost frightening. <laughs> and we, you know, the trivia says that he's actually one of the uh, crew members from Planet of the Apes. Uh, I would say he's the one with the beard, but they all have beards. <laughs> so he's the one that isn't Charlton Heston. Um, but... My God, the guy from the lip, upper lip up yes. was definitely Sean Connery of the same era. Very much it's, so. It's very freaky. But the, just the whole conversation. I think I found where they did the thing. <laughs> really? Where was it? <laughs> and he kept trying to throw in a bad Scottish accent that he waffled on. Right. But he was really making the effort to come off right. as being 007. Is this when we hear about Spectre? Yes, because yes. there's some off the hand kind of so because he's like, is it Spectre? And he's like, no, I don't think it's Spectre this time. Yeah, they're like, it's bigger than Spectre. Or yes, exactly. <laughs> bigger than Spectre. It's, it's what is the name of it? Galaxy was Galaxy the name of the yeah, criminal Galaxy. organization yep. or whatever. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it wasn't an acronym by it, which was kind of disappointing. Yeah. I mean, they made such a ridiculous one with Zowie. You could have done like you know. Global assimilation, exactly as likely you are. I don't know. <laughs> Just something. But something. You could have figured something out. I mean, literally, out. that fit. It took me three seconds to knock that out. Right. So then we get the, <laughs> just for Jason, we get a bathroom fight. <laughs> we get a bathroom fight at the jazz club between Mr. Hans Gruber, not the Alan Rickman <laughs> Hans Gruber. But the Michael St. Clair Hans Gruber. <laughs> yes, who is uh, not nearly as smooth <laughs> and goes down pretty quickly. That's a weird fight, too. Right, and, and dies at the end. Yeah. Like, that's the end of Hans Gruber Like, at really, that point. almost a little more grim than I would have expected well, yeah, for this, how silly this movie is. But he clearly picks that knife up and stabs him you while hear they're him in go, the... Ugh. Yeah. And that's it. I love how all the toilet paper, too, keeps raining down yes. on the floor. Because <laughs> <laughs> this whole fight scene's going on in the stall. Right, so you don't see but, exactly what's going on. Because it's a 60s movie, you can't show them in the stall. Oh, is that a, is that a rule? It was, they were kind of coming away from the and the studio system on that. Oh, but a lot of the censors, depending really? on because I think it's sixty six. They hadn't even started the rating system yet, mm. so it was basically you can't show a toilet except in certain circumstances. You can't ever show it being used, and uh-huh. so 
they could not have filmed that scene because technically they were using the they weren't using the toilet. But the toilet was being used. Right. There was a whole thing about this I just read not too long ago about Leave It to Beaver and the first time they showed a toilet on screen with something being used <laughs> because the joke was in the toilet. Right. But anyway, if this would have been made now, we would have seen the whole fight scene in the thing. Oh yeah. His face would have gone in the toilet three times. They probably would have broke the actual bowl. Yeah. Like because, cracked it. Yeah, because all we do is crack people's heads on porcelain. And that always happens in the real world. But no, this one was a very sanitized. All we saw were hands and a knife. Yeah. And feet and the bottom of the toilet. Yeah. And and a weird almost I can't believe they're fighting. It looks like they're not even putting any effort. Against I also struggle. thought it was really funny that Flint had to pick the lock on the stall to get no, no, in. No, he didn't pick the lock. He had to put money in it because it was a pay toilet. Oh, that, are you serious? Yes. Oh my God. How did I not see that? It was a, well, because pay toilets are so prevalent now, but <laughs> I've never even heard of a pay toilet. You've never heard of a pay toilet. No. Oh my God. I'm, I am old. Aren't I? <laughs> Ask your grandparents, kids. Wow, no, it was a pay, pay toilet. He had to put coins inside it to get it to go out. That's why wonder, the lock was on the outside. Wow. I wonder if that's. I wonder if that means that if you're paying for it, it better be well maintained. <laughs> that I believe was one of the reasons why they used it to pay the people that clean the toilets. Yeah. Yeah, but also to discourage people from coming in who weren't paying customers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So okay, but uh, yeah, it was definitely a pay toilet, and that- I will go on record as saying. <laughs> That until he put his hands on his face to control the breathing oh God. Oh God. after touching bathroom stuff. Right. I was okay with this fight scene <laughs> because they didn't show all the things in fight scenes that you don't like. Hands in toilets, hands in urinals. Lots of splashy water. Lots of splashy water. Faces and lips on bathroom floors. <laughs> yeah. There was none of that in this fight scene. Right. But then after he's done, he's like... <laughs> Well, he does that thing. Superstar. Exactly. He does the girl from SNL where she like <laughs> s- smells her hands after they've been under her armpits. It's so gross. I was I was so disappointed that I wasn't going to have one bathroom scene, but I wasn't grossed <laughs> out in the whole time. And then there you are. They've ruined it for me. So then we get this <laughs> we get the this Batman bomb inside the cold cream container. Which is great, just because I love a good Batman bomb where there's lots of spinny things going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little, yeah. a little flashy lights that don't need to be flashing nope. lights, or nope. you know, little like swirly paint that that yeah, looks yeah. like some sort of psychedelic thing that's yeah. there for literally no reason whatsoever. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> then, all oh all my god! A, all in a all in a little <laughs> jar with a hula girl on it, <laughs> which from far away Jason thinks looks awfully uh, awfully phallic. phallic. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I also thought it was funny how he, to get everyone out of the... Everyone out of the bar. Out of the bar. He takes the blood, I think it is, from the kill and puts it on his face to make him look darker. Oh, well, so no, he goes through, because he goes through Or does he just splash water on his face? So back in there, he he makes a quick change to try and throw everybody off. Yes, he so disguises he changed, himself. disguises himself with a turban. And then he reverses he his, his coat. dinner jacket into... Uh, Basically a Bond villain high neck coat that's white with a black trim on it. Yeah, with the, uh, what are those Eastern collars called? I don't know. But kind of like that. Yeah, exactly. It looks like a Dr. Evil coat, but it's white. (laughs) And so he had sunglasses. I think he was wearing, no, he wasn't wearing sunglasses. But his skin tone got super dark. He was wearing sunglasses when he first comes out of the bathroom. Okay. And then he takes them off after, I think it's when he's using that funny little, 
instrument that he's got that's basically a Geiger counter. Oh, yeah. So, so he attaches it to the Wonder Lighter. Yeah, his Wonder Lighter, which we haven't even talked about gadget yet. gadget lighter. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so he, and he's scanning it to make sure it's not radioactive, and he realizes it's, it's an bomb. explosive device because Gila has replaced whatever was in it with a bomb right. to try and kill him. So how does he clear the room out, Ben? He so, pulls out his silence pistol and does he, what? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, this is so silly. Because, yeah, it's a gun with a silencer on it. But it when he starts shooting it, it's full loudness, <laughs> like <laughs> as if there was nothing on it. There's no... But he basically, <laughs> he basically placed a stereotype of someone from the Middle East and starts shooting at the ceiling and starts <laughs> yelling, Ah! <laughs> right, like sending everybody out of out of the place, and then of course he again just silencer on it. I don't know why uh-huh. it's making so much noise. He throws the gun at the bomb to trigger Which sets it. Sets it off. Yeah, yeah. So and then oh god, <laughs> there's so much in this scene to unpack. Too. There really is a lot. <laughs> like, oh I don't think god. we're gonna get to all of it. <laughs> like I just realized. Because then, I think that's what he does. He goes back to the cold cream container that had the bomb in it, and he examines a fragment, a fragment of, of it to find out what it is. Right, under his his super fancy gadget watch. watch microscope. With a microscope on it, yeah. Which is like, hmm, it's got uh, H2O and this and this and this. And, and he's like, it's cold cream. <laughs> Flick. <laughs> Flick. <laughs> we might have to go back to this one and do a full review. There, there's a lot of stuff in here i don't know i don't know we'll see i don't know <laughs> I, I will say i mean i'll tell you let's talk about the lighter shall we oh my gosh before we forget yes because the the gadgets just in general are stupendous right well so there's a scene when he's decided to come on to zowie and yes. help him out where he basically tells uh, uh cramden cramden yes oh, I, wor- I work by myself but cram so cramden's like okay so here's your gun, it's a Walther PPK with a silencer, blah, 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 blah. Right. Oh, yeah, it's a very nice gun, but I don't use guns. It's crude. It's crude. And it's, by the way, folks, same gun he's using to shoot up in the yes, bar. Yes, of course. Uh, but then he shows him the briefcase, and the briefcase has- Is identical to From Russia With Love. Right. Identical to the From Russia With Love briefcase. It's got briefcase. a knife. In the it's side. It's got poison and other things inside it. Yeah, I'm sure if- he would have allowed Cramden to go on. There probably would have been gold coins gold inside. Gold coins inside it. And he's like, I don't need those gadgets. I only need this. And he pulls out a cigarette lighter. Right. And Cramden's like, this has 65 different kinds of gadgets in it. And he's like, <laughs> this has 85. And then he goes on for the entirety of the movie to show you, I don't know, at least 12 or 13 of them. Yeah, there's a lot. There is a lot going on in it. He can, I mean, he can do Morse code. He can, he can do Morse code and communicate both ways. It's the straight up talking communicator. Apparently, it's a satellite communicator. Yeah, it's a satellite <laughs> communicator. It works in conjunction with the watch to do data and stuff like that. Apparently, um, it's also a CO2 laser. It's also, well, it's, it's <laughs> or, definitely a high-powered acetylene torch yeah. that it does not have anywhere near the fuel for. <laughs> so one could say it's probably an electroplasma torch, like the kind <laughs> that they used in Aliens, um, which maybe I would buy, but I don't buy. Because um, it's 1966. It's not, and it also, it, it, if it's 86 functions if you use it to light a cigarette or a cigar, yes. according to our man Flint. It's pretty fantastic. And then, of course, the watch, which he uses it, for it's, everything. He, it's a, a microscope. It's an analysis tool. It's a spelunking light. And it it's, also wakes him up when he has his, his fancy, which we haven't talked about yet, his fancy ability to make his heart stop for three hours at a time. And his little watch thingy has a little arm that comes out and 
sort of plucks at his skin to wake him to wake back him up. up. Yep. <laughs> It does everything. It does everything. It's amazing. It is. And then even his suit has gadgets. He's got the the little earplugs and the thing so he can, uh, when he gets trapped. <laughs> the suction cup mic. <laughs> the suction cup microphone. Oh, my God. <laughs> so much ridiculous. And I, again, it's part of the, it's the gag. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's picking on James Bond with the gadgets and everything. But some of the things, everything in a lighter. Yes. Swiss Army lighter. That's what we're going to call it. Indeed. But yeah, so he basically, they, they end up in Italy, don't they? Because that's where he's in the taxi cab with the driver and they're speaking Italian. How does he know he needs to get to Rome? I can't remember how, but he has to go to <laughs> And he starts matter. going to different cold cream manufacturers. That's right. And, like and, with the Bouillabaisse. base. Right, because the, and the taxi driver keeps complaining. There are seven that, hills in Rome. <laughs> right. I mean, We've been to six. Are you sure you know where you're going? <laughs> And they're talking in Italian, but when the driver speaks English, he sounds like he's from the Bronx. So I don't understand. <laughs> and then, of course, he's talking in code numbers to Cramden over his little thing. and he's Based off of his own code, which was 402638. And he's like, well, if you'd like, I can tell you what the code is. I'm like, no. I don't want, We can pretty we much can get pretty, what it is. Yeah, we can pretty much figure out what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so he, so this whole time, instead of giving dialogue, he's just reading numbers to the Zowie people, and then the and ladies then translating encoding it. it. Yeah, so he's relaying all this, and the taxi drivers like, "Oh, you're figuring out lottery numbers or whatever." He's like, well, "Yeah, well, I have a system." You see, it's a, <laughs> and then we do the callback to that right to first the callback for the forty. 26. Right. Oh, I'm sure I know how you figured out your your system for this. Right. <laughs> I, do, I do wish I knew whose measurements those were. I don't think it was anybody's in that movie, to no. be honest. <laughs> I, it almost feels like that was maybe one of our tens of listeners knows, but Marilyn Monroe's. It might have been. It seems like that might have been. It seems a little there. bit closer. Certainly although, more voluptuous although woman 40 with those measurements. Is, Yikes. Gazinga. <laughs> Maybe it was Gina Lola Brigida. Maybe it was Jane Russell. Who knows? <laughs> indeed, indeed. So they go to the cold cream. Uh, after cold cream, after cold after cream. After cold cream, after cold cream. And he, he finally finds the right one. And he, he basically lets Zowie know that he's walking into a trap. Yeah, through his coats. Oh, there's something in there about, that's right about the time when his his harem of four girls all gets kidnapped. Oh, that's right. They they determined that that's his weak spot. Yes, is the harem of girls. So the yes. galaxy people, Gila and and Rodney, hatch a nefarious plan. Yes, <laughs> and and kidnap the women in the most ridiculous way. <laughs> yeah, one's in the changing room. One's getting her hair done. Right. One's in, a, in elevator. an elevator, which is very disturbing. These two big men, and it just feels very... Right. Icky. But then they go to the last one. And she's in the shower, so yeah. that's even more... They kidnap her naked. <laughs> so anyway. I did like how in the shower, did you notice the towels and staying... Instead of saying his and hers, just said hers and hers. Hers and hers, Because yeah. that's where the four girls shower. All showered, yeah. <laughs> so he he finds the correct cold cream place right. to go to. And this this building is such a set. It feels like so TV. This is oh, when I really yes. this is when I really noticed how TV set like this movie was. Yeah, absolutely. When he walks in and he and he, he gives the the secretary like a hundred his calling to, card. Yeah, his calling card or whatever to so that he can get straight through to, to Gila. And then this is a weird thing too. When he meets Gila in the in the office and 
I forget what they even talk about while they're in the office. I don't even know if it makes much you know, difference. But she's like, well, we should talk about it somewhere else, more private. Right. And the next thing you know, they're, you know, she's seducing him and they're kissing on a balcony at her place. Right. <laughs> like there was no pretense. Yeah, there no, was no... no there was, she, that's what it's... She basically says to him that, I'll tell you everything about the plan because you've already figured it out anyway. Right. And this was a way to get him to where she could get him captured and, and, and everything else. Right. Because her whole plan was basically just to get him to take the keys away from her so that he could go back to the to the cold right. crane plant and investigate and then they could lock him into the right into the safe or whatever by the way she masterminded this whole plan i just want to point this out yeah the the dude there was she was not a minion in this she literally was like i i'm orchestrating this whole thing and dude walked right into my trap right hook line sinker and then meanwhile malcolm tried to take credit for it after they pushed him into the safe right <laughs> that's like well that's all you did like she figured all this other stuff yeah, out she got him here <laughs> yeah exactly what are you talking about exactly and of course did you know he was going to get locked in that safe as soon as he walked in oh the absolutely safe? it had you, uh, <laughs> the only thing i couldn't get what understand is where the safe door went on the trailer after the fact yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't know i bet i probably just shouldn't think about it that much <laughs> exactly so now, then he's trapped inside the the safe and he of course his his super neato uh you know Swiss Army knife gadget thing has this CO2 laser esque uh, blowtorch thing on it, which he's able to cut the latch to open up the safe. And he gets big gulp of fresh air, and then he oh my god, <laughs> it's just so silly. This whole movie is so damn silly. So he just there's a little flip up thing so he can see outside outside of the trailer, and he can see the hat of Gila and that uh you know. Malcolm- I don't think we pointed out though. That after they catch him, the safe is inside a trailer. Yes. That they then well the whole office there's a whole room yeah that is a trailer it's a trailer where the safe is located yes they hook a car up to the trailer oh yeah and then they pull it out (laughs) that's right and then after they're done pulling it out. The whole, the whole building lowers into the ground and all these people come out and set up an outdoor cafe where it was at <laughs> so that when Cramden shows up, by the way, with the same taxi driver yeah, and a general in tow. Somehow he located the same taxi driver. It brings him over to a location where he drops Flint off right. and it's completely different. <laughs> Which I feel like I've seen in a different movie and I just can't place. Well, I mean, it's in Indiana Jones. It's in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. In a way, like yeah. when, the, when the truck pulls into the town, exactly, and, and then they set up the, the stuff in front exactly. of it. Exactly. <laughs> so it's not a it's not a new thing. No, <laughs> at all. Maybe it was the originator. Who knows? Yeah, I, it's hard I mean, to say. When we talk about how people imitate Indiana Jones, maybe they Steven Spielberg is like, you know, it would be funny. <laughs> what if we do the George? Arm what if we did this? <laughs> Yeah, so he, he managed to get out of the safe. Oh, which I forgot to mention is when he uses these ridiculous cords that come out of his suit. Right. Where he's got the stethoscope. they earbuds. Yeah, the earbuds with a stethoscope so he can open the safe. And then they're just hanging there. He never retracts no, them. He never pulls they're them just back flop, into the they're suit. They're just flopping around. It's just so ridiculous it is. looking. It is. <laughs> because then he puts on the spelunking watch. <laughs> yeah, that's band right. with the light. <laughs> He's almost like one of the uh, one of the hipsters that you see running at night with the headlamps. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Except it was his watch. It was his watch. And then he takes the stethoscope part out the teeny little window in the in the trailer, 
and throws it on the back of the glass of the car that's towing him. Yeah. So we can hear the whole conversation. Excellent. Such good stuff. (laughs) Well, and that's how he finds out that his women have been... Right. That's how he knows that they've been kidnapped. Right. So he's trying to give out the coordinates of where the secret island they're going to is. And once he realizes that the girls are going to be killed if they strike, do a strike on the place, he doesn't give... Zowie the information that they need to have. Right, he withholds because, it, says it's coming later. Right, because he doesn't want them to just blow up the island with his women on it. Exactly. So in order to go rescue them, he feigns being dead because they all think he's probably run out of air at that right. point Right, he in uses time. his special power. His special powers to look like a vampire <laughs> with the hands crossed. And they put him in a casket. <laughs> so James Coburn in a casket like a vampire. Like dead bang on like a vampire. Right? It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like, so maybe he is the undead? I don't know. But yeah, so they, they put him in a casket. Take him into their submarine. Don't put him in the refrigeration unit. No, because if he was an actual dead person, we just want to have him stinking up the place. Exactly. With his dead body smell. We'll just leave it there. And then we get to have this whole little tete-a-tete between Gila and Rodney about, you know, who's responsible for what. By the way, when you're watching this scene, one hour, five minutes in on this scene, (laughs) there's a control person in the very back behind the two of them that's James Brolin, in case anybody cares. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> you won't see him all the way through because there's, for some unknown reason, people <laughs> carrying 50-gallon drums of cold cream behind the two actors that are acting in between them and James Brolin <laughs> controlling the submarine. Unless it's some other thing. But the thing is, is the whole idea behind the three scientists is just to control weather and stuff. Right. So it's not like they're making some sort of chemical weapons. Yeah, I don't understand. Are those really the... big drums of cold cream? I, I, first <laughs> Is of that all... like the front? Is that the front for this giant criminal organization? <laughs> I, I have to guess so, but you can't lift a 50-gallon drum of anything, anything. like that. <laughs> so I don't honestly know. Maybe they were all empty because they're empty at the end. Yeah. But why I mean, do they a have full... to carry them in the sun? Because a 50-gallon drum... Full of cold cream would probably weigh like 300 pounds. <laughs> At least. At least. A, a gallon of milk or gallon of water is eight pounds. There you go. So multiply that. You guys can do the math. I'm not doing it for you. Sometimes you have to do homework here when you're listening to the podcast. That's right. But That's anyway, right. so they, they take the submarine. They go to their island that is smack dab in the middle of the Mediterranean. And, uh, I forget um, what the name of the island is. I, Galaxy <laughs> Island, I think is literally what yeah. it's called. <laughs> Galaxy yeah. Island. Yeah. By the way, uh, we've got an LB Abbott uh, Island miniature here. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> and I, I've said this, maybe not on this podcast, but I know I've said it many times before to people talking about movies. Two things you can't animate miniature very well are water and fire. This island gets both. And it looks terrible. I mean, I... Especially the water. Oh, the water, for sure. Because there's a lot of miniature water stuff where the dam breaks and and little miniature houses get... Yep, <laughs> bowled over with water, yeah, and, yeah. and it all looks and or or when the submarine submerges under the waterfall. Oh God, that's terrible. it's like and clearly it's, that submarine is like maybe ten inches long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's not it's not like the froth that you get when a boat is turning up water. It's like bubbles in a tub. So being a person who really appreciates special effects, what they are and what they were, it, for the time it was excellent work. Yeah. So I oh, mean, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure L. B. Abbott. Maybe an Albert Whitlock. I don't remember who did special effects for Doctor No. Mm-hmm. But if you when the when Doctor No's Legion of Doom head 
comes flying out of the water. You get the same problems with the water and everything. That you oh, I think have. you're thinking of uh, the Spy Who Loved Me. Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, when Stromberg's oh yes, 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 uh, Fortress Under the Sea comes up. Yes, yeah. yes, I confuse them, <laughs> but it's the same thing. It looks the same way. It looks hokey until it's there. Then it's fine. But the water really throws yeah, everything off. Yeah. But anyway, so they, they take the submarine to the island. And and somewhere between being in the in the submarine and getting off the submarine, somewhere along that trip, our man Flint is able to leave the coffin and substitute his body with some rando. What's the dude that he killed with the forklift? You're right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> That's what it is. They're That's hauling what... all of these empty drums, 50-gallon drums of nothing, off of the thing, and then they reel, wheel off the casket that he's in, the coffin that he's That's in. That's right. And they're following. And so the, all the main bad guys are walking, and there's a guy in a teeny tiny little forklift that's got Flint's coffin on it, right. following them very slowly behind. And when they all go into a room, he's getting ready to take the coffin off, and then Flint does the double Well, Flint's wing. driving well, the forklift. Right. So Flint, I think, actually, I think what happens is Flint knocks out the forklift driver, Puts on his uniform, gets on the forklift with because it's still got the coffin on it, right? And then and then he crushes plows, on, plows, plows into the other, other guy. bad guy, yeah, and then changes into his uniform, yes. But I think the guy that's in the coffin was a forklift driver, not the guy that he killed. Okay, I <laughs> not, think not that any of this matters not, but... or makes a lick of sense. <laughs> I just remember I had a genuine feeling of surprise when I saw him driving the forklift. Yeah, because they don't show where he comes out of the coffin, right, and. disables the forklift driver. He's just there like, ta-da! Suddenly I'm driving the forklift and I'm killing this guy with the forklift. Surprise! (laughs) So now we're at the fortress and... (laughs) In a volcano. In a volcano, no less, of of course. course. So basically... Now we get some more background on the idea of what utopia is of the three scientists. The three scientists. Because you've got... So you've got the main social area, which is this outside sort of area, and they've got this big painted background. It's actually right. well done. Yeah, it's a it's an excellent matte painting for when it was done. Right. But it's like this utopia paradise. All the women are in bikinis and all the men are very fit. And there's in, in off in the distance you see like this these people jumping on trampolines. They're jumping on trampolines. And then there's like people playing the flute, just walking around. They're walking around with a guitar. <laughs> it's just, it's very... It's sort of like... Hippy-dippy almost, but... It's sort of like the planet that they visit in the Star Trek The Next Generation in season one, <laughs> where Wesley breaks the rules by going into a forbidden zone and has to die. But all the people that are running around, they're all just fit and well-dressed and bikinis <laughs> and Speedos yeah. and free love and the whole nine yards. Yeah. And what you come to find out is this is basically a dude's version of paradise. Right. Where all these people, I think, have been programmed to be pleasure people right. for the people working for Galaxy. Exactly. Well, definitely, all the women are definitely pleasure... Uh, what do they call them? Pleasure... Well, they, they, they prepare them. Take them to preparation. Yes, take them to preparation. H. Yes, it's good on the whole. <laughs> so then there's like some sort of beacon that calls all of these inhabitants right. of this utopia somewhere. So Flint follows them, and that's when this un-American eagle <laughs> comes. <laughs> so he gets accosted by the un-American eagle. <laughs> Well, and you have to understand. That's been trained to only attack Americans. Right. Hence the, he's like, 
Hmm. Un-American eagle. <laughs> Devious. Or yes. I yeah, forget yeah, what he says. Yeah, diabolical. 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 <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's so, it's so, oh my God, it's so bad. And then the henchmen just sort of go, okay, you're coming with us, but they don't have any guns. Which they explain later. Which they explain later, but it's just sort of silly that, I mean, I know why Flint goes along with it because he wants to go see where the three scientist guys are and right. he wants to find the people running the show or whatnot so they lead him to to those guys and then we see malcolm and gila together and the three scientists and of course malcolm is really hell-bent on just plain out killing flint that's right. all he wants out of it and you can tell already that gila kind of has a soft spot for him a little bit oh yeah oh yeah and and in the meantime the scientist people are, are almost in awe of him and so they want to win him over and and want to make him one of them or whatnot. Right, but that's not before Malcolm uh, Rodney manages to convince them that Gila really fucked up and so she needs to go be reprogrammed. That's right. And the only thing that women are good for is pleasuring men. Right. And so that's they're going to turn her into a pleasure bot. That's right. And, and she of- goes off and in the process runs over towards Flint, steals the secret lighter of doom, kisses him and then hands it to him so that he has the, oh, the so secret subtly. lighter. Oh, so subtly. Yeah. Has a secret lighter of doom to get out of wherever he needs to go. Again, like they actually gave her some good stuff to work with. Right. They made her more like a smart character. Well, she knew where she was going. So she knew that was going to be the only opportunity she was going to have to help him at all. Right. And he's her only ticket out. Pretty basic, much. At this point. Pretty much. So, so he gets his little Swiss Army gadget back and then it's sort of agreed upon that flint would never allow himself to be reprogrammed to do their bidding or right. whatnot so then they try and send him off to so then they go send him to the oh, what was it called they're going to the, send him to the preparation to, no 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 they were gonna the, oh the, that's right the when electrical defragmentation the or electro fragmentizer the electro fragmentizer the yes electro fragmentizer <laughs> yes so which basically just makes things disappear flux capacity <laughs> but not before flint gets a couple of good hits in on uh, on malcolm rodney True enough. <laughs> Although Malcolm Rodney throws the drink in his face or whatever. Yeah, that that was kind of funny. <laughs> but they say they, they lead him off to the electrofragmentizer, which one assumes fragmentizes thing things electrically. Yes. And there's no, you know, this is 1966, so there's not a whole lot of uh, CGI that they can do that's... No, it, it really is just sort of a disappearing effect where they stopped the camera and started it up <laughs> Right, again. it's just a jump cut. Right, but... This thing is so Batman in its <laughs> in its implementation and naming category. It might as well have been the Bat Electro Fragmentizer. <laughs> yes, um, it was totally a Batman villain sort of contraption thing. Yeah. So in goes the lighter. In goes one bad guy. In goes, in goes the other bad, bad guy. guy. <laughs> Everything's gone. But Flint is free to go and do what he needs to do to save the world. But now he doesn't have his little... He doesn't have his gadget su- anymore. Super gadgets. Now so what just, does he have to rely rely on now to get through things? His no, wits. His wits and the Vulcan nerve pinch. Oh, uh, the Vulcan. I forgot about... He uses that Vulcan nerve pinch four times. <laughs> you counted, huh? Four times. <laughs> One time to knock out the guard and then three to knock out the twisty turny guys. At the drill. That's right. Because the and and the very first one is coming up here when right. 
So he goes to save Gila, who's being uh, prepared prepared to be a pleasure model. And he uses the Vulcan death pinch the first time on uh, Mr. Whipple, isn't it? it? I am 100% sure that was Mr. Whipple from the old Charmin ads. Who was guarding her? Who was guarding her <laughs> while she was being programmed to be, you know, to do the things that pleasure women do. Yes. And she's basically repeating something in this grossly psychedelic neurons firing kind of well yeah that whole set looks like something out of star trek it really did because there's like clear things with lights that are flashing different color lights and right and and there's a spinning thing that looks like an amoeba yeah it's and even mr whipple's dressed in like a red outfit like he was a star trek bad guy (laughs) but it was he really wanted to squeeze the charmin (laughs) well i mean gillis I mean, if, if, if Flint had to come in and be like, you will let people squeeze your Charmin. I will let people squeeze my Charmin. <laughs> Ask your grandparents, kids. That's right. So he so he gets rid of the Charmin guy. <laughs> and then he, he says, before he snaps Gila out of it, he's like, you are not a pleasure model. Like, I think three times or whatever. And he snaps his fingers and then she's out of it. Right. Back to being your normal self. Back to being your normal self. But at the same time, she kind of seems like she wants to be a pleasure model for Flint. Well, you know. <laughs> a little bit. So <laughs> There's definitely been a shift in priorities here. Yes. Yes, indeed. So at this point, they have to get into the, oh God, what is it called? The relief room? The... the I don't uh, even know what they call it, but it's the room to let off the pressure for the gigantic drill. No, 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 no. no. The room with oh, the dancing. There's the yes. room with the dancing. There's the massage room. And then oh. there is the drive-in makeout okay. room. So there's a room <laughs> where all of the male employees get to go hang out with the pleasure models. Models. And do weird <laughs> whatever they things. want, basically. Yeah. So there's a there's an area that's like ancient Greece, and there's an area that's a go go dancing room, <laughs> right? And then there's an area that's basically a drive in movie theater with cars, with cars there to make out in. Exactly. Like the whole idea is to make out in these in all these convertible cars. They're all convertibles. <laughs> They're all convertibles. There's no steamy windows going on here. No. So he, he goes in. Oh, and that's the other thing. He has to brand oh, Gila. Oh, yeah. Gila with. On her arm. On her arm to make it look like she is a pleasure model now. This, this may, be, may be the part of her acting that's a little... It went a little over the top because it, it went past pain and it, into almost a it, sexual pleasure. It really did. It was I, a little I, disturbing. It was teetering on porny. Yeah. Did not like that at all. Yeah. So anyway, she gets branded, and it seems like maybe she's into that sort of thing. But then they go, keep going, and they they go into the assembly line that gets her into this, whatever, this relief room, or mm-hmm. I forget what they call it. I, can't I don't remember. remember. But they get in there, and there's these little pills that all the men are taking. Right. <laughs> and Flint takes one. Right. You would think... That Flint would be smart enough to go, I'm not going to take that. I don't know what's in those But it pills. has zero effect on him. It has nothing. It just, so he it, wasn't even worried about it. It's so weird that there's no payoff for that at all. Well, it's like he took it and he's like, oh, it's exactly what I thought it was. Well, I've been spending the last three years building up tolerance to right. iocane powder. Well, he seems a little bit... Well, because the, the guy that we see take a bunch of them is very high. Like, right. 
in a very like happy sort of maybe they're made of cocaine sort of way. <laughs> and Flint seems to react fairly positively to the one that he takes. Sure. Especially when he walks into the go-go room. Right. As soon as he hears the music, he just can't stop moving oh, his no, head. Oh, no, he's in he's, there. He's just got to start moving his head. And here's, he's just like, yeah. And this is like <laughs> probably, other than that phone ring, this is the most blatantly Austin Powers thing in this movie. <laughs> yeah. That they clearly stole... The cool man Flint dancing with a bunch of go-go dancers <laughs> with in the 60s. Just mouth open with oh, those yeah. choppers showing. <laughs> so he's in the go-go room and he finds two of his ladies. Two of his ladies. And he's who like, he whispers to them and they immediately go out of their trance. Like he had pre-programmed them at some point Right, it time. was like the hypnosis code word that snaps right. the break word that gets them out of the trance. <laughs> And then they just make their way into the Greek uh, massage room. Right. And they find Blondie, who is currently giving a massage to some big oaf. Right. Who he pats. He packs him on the ass. It's <laughs> yeah. not a pat. He smacks him on the ass. Yeah. He like takes his girl away and then smacks him on the ass. And then they're just, and then they're off. And he, the guy's just sort of like, what? What just happened? <laughs> and where did they find girl number four? Is in the, in the, the girl drive number four is making up in the drive because they yeah because uh, Gila is back yeah okay. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna be honest with you. One of the things that made this movie really difficult to to process was that <laughs> the women all kind of looked the same. <laughs> and so most of them, yes, yeah. I mean, the blonde was obvious. The Asian girl was obvious, but like the three other females all kind of were similar in build. And yeah, I felt like Gila really stood out, though. Well, Because yeah, she was the but, true... Yeah, but she was the main character. I just right. mean, most of the, the... But the two brunettes that were part of yeah, his harem... Yeah, I couldn't harem. tell who... I was like, well, they're part of the harem. Let's move on. <laughs> right, exactly. So they find... It was one of the two anonymous brunettes that was in the drive through uh, yes, area. one of them. <laughs> one of them. And then he takes out the guy that's making out with her, and then she's like grabs onto him because she's still in the trance, and she's just like desperately trying to make out with him. Right. And he's like, you're <laughs> you're not a pleasure bot. You're not a pleasure right. bot. Magic word. Magic word. <laughs> Snaps them out of it. And then they're off. So he takes the girls to some sort of, <laughs> for lack of a better term, undisclosed location in Hey-o. the, in, the in this lair. And he says, you girls wait here i'm going to blow things up or whatever and then he takes off and we get this massive chase scene through the lair oh yeah with uh, <laughs> over overhead gantries with only one safety rail <laughs> right people falling down people falling down he's going on those those weird oh the the weird standing escalator belts that you yeah to have the that conveyor were just vertical, belts vertical conveyors that you use to get from one level to another yeah so he's being chased and at one point he goes down one and then he monkeys his way to the other side of it and goes back up and right. then it's like so, some sort of bizarre so, scooby-doo episode they like go in one door and come out of the door at the other end of the hall in the meantime he's smashing things with with oh yeah he's doing you know, wrenches full, full he's wrenches he's and turning all these big turny things on the giant vulcan nerve pinching anybody who gets in his way <laughs> right. oh and he does do a flying drop kick on one guy though 
But there's a giant drill that's somehow integral to what's happening at this Well, thing. I think that's what controls the weather. Because I feel like at the beginning of this movie, they, they talk about how they drilled into the Earth's crust or something. And that's shifting the plates that's causing all this upheaval in the weather or something like that. That, you know, it's as fair an explanation as anything. <laughs> all I wanted to say was a giant drill. I wasn't even going to try and get into why there was a giant drill. Just that there was one. <laughs> And it was clearly a steam drill, so he was trying to blow it up by turning up the steam. Right. If there's a reason for it, who cares? (laughs) Who cares? At this point in time. Exactly. So so he makes his way to the drill, and that's where we we find Malcolm again. And along with the three uh, scientists. Right. And the scientists are pleading with him not to turn off the machine because he's at the main controls now. Right. And they don't do anything to stop him. No, they literally to- don't try and punch him or grab him or stop him. They're <laughs> they just, just try, pleading with they're him. They're just pleading with him not to turn it off. And he's like, nope. I like the world to be the way I want it to be. (laughs) And and then that's it. And then, uh, you know, Rodney gets super pissed and he dislodges this huge crane hook and sends it towards him, but ends up killing the three scientists in the process. And then there's this big fight scene between him and and Flint where first they're fencing with some sort of Yeah, just uh, some random... It's just sword-like thing. It's just a reason to pay off the whole thing that With Flint knows how to fence, sword fight, right. how to fence. And then Rodney pulls out this glove, this metal glove thing with, with spikes sh- on it and <laughs> like, his crest. <laughs> like, where was he hiding this? For- yeah, and how did he put it on? <laughs> right. So then he's like bashing pieces of of concrete, and it's knocking out uh, this huge uh, guardrail and stuff, and everything's falling apart. And I don't know somehow. Or another this is when it just it's we're in such silly time yeah, at this point it's totally devolving into chaos at this <laughs> right point. flint somehow wins like knocks him to the ground doesn't kill him but it knocks him out right so then flint takes off to go and find the girls right and then meanwhile rodney winds up back in the control like the main trying to stop whatever's happening from happening in some sort of craze yeah he's just rant tirade tantrum <laughs> it doesn't thing. make any sense no all he does is he, i know he gets on the intercom and he starts verbally abusing all of the inhabitants of this pleasure world that right he's, that he's on because they're all fleeing too because they know what's up like the whole place is coming down so all the inhabitants of the you know euphoria world or whatever are trying to get out and it's like it's just bad and then <laughs> flint finally finds the five of them and he leads them out to this area where there's a bunch of water and there's a bunch of drums and he puts two and two together and he sees a big water outlet. Well, there's a waterfall that you could see clearly from the miniature island that they're showing every single time you're like that's going to be something later yeah exactly so that's where they're at and he puts two and two together but doesn't doesn't entirely put two and two together because he's putting the women in the giant drums and sealing it from the outside right so there's no oxygen or there's very little oxygen for these women to breathe in and he's pushing them out (laughs) out of the waterfall out out of the waterfall into the ocean into the ocean for the boat that's coming to pick them up 
well, that he doesn't really 100% know is actually there. Exactly. He's just. He'd previously sent the coordinates of where it was. Right. So that the. Because they'd issued an ultimatum. The bad guys issued an ultimatum that you had to destroy your navies and all your nuclear weapons, or they would continue wreaking havoc. Right. On the world. And so Cramden is on his old Navy vessel. That's gets, right. Gets the message. That's right, because he takes out the guy in the radio room with the loud... Yeah, <laughs> that was really very annoying. And uh, and then he sends Morse code. That's right. He yeah, sends, he sends like, the Morse code to his secret number thing, and they translate it like, oh, Flint's still alive. Right, we need to send a boat, and right, yada, ex- yada. Exactly. There we go. So the drums of ladies are going over the waterfall. <laughs> We've got drums filled with women, and they're going over the waterfall. And it, dogs and cats <laughs> living together. And then at this point, all of the water has vacated that area, so yeah. there's no more water to come out of the waterfall. So Flint just realizes he has to swan dive off of this giant cliff, which turns out to be significantly shorter for the actual dive right. than the miniature would have led you to believe. <laughs> yes, indeed. So he dives out. And, you know, luckily there's a boat right there. So they're able to quickly open the drums up. Save the women. And save the women. Grope them as they pull them out of the water. Grope them as they wrap them in blankets. (laughs) Grope them as they shove them over to wherever they needed to go. I know. It's just, I was like, guys, come on. We just spent an hour and 40 minutes making a movie that treats women as more or less equals. And at the end of it, you're just going to sit there and cop a feel every chance you get. I know. It was was horrible. Yeah, it was not great. And these are supposed to be the good guys. Right. So, Although, granted, they were Navy guys, so who knows how long they've been out there. (laughs) They've been out there a while. (laughs) Well, and I find it funny, too, because, you know, Cramden's looking through binoculars at the ladies. Right. And they're like, Bring him up to the bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Then Flint Flint ends up coming up on the deck, and they want nothing to do with him. There's no blanket for Flint. No blanket, no help getting up the ladder. No, 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 no. Never mind the fact that he did everything. (laughs) Right, he's just going to go to the bridge now because he doesn't even need to be told. He knows where to go. Right. So he gets up there, and of course, the president wants to speak to him. Right. And Flint wants, he doesn't care. He doesn't yeah, give a he's shit. Gonna he's going to go celebrate with the women. That's right. He just, you know, he sits back. There's some sort of recliner wherever they are in this control room. There just happens to conveniently be this chair that he can recline way right. back in so that all the women can like kiss him all at once, practically. With creepy kisses. <laughs> creepy kisses all over the place. Cre- oh my and God. And then they all part ways for Gila to come in for the main course right (laughs) and really give him a good kiss which it's a james colburn kiss so there's nothing good about it (laughs) there's nothing good about it i mean it was good when she started walking towards camera absolutely it's like whoa holy cow i mean the whole scene where he's making out with her back when she tries to get some capture (laughs) i forgot about that yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) that first makeout scene is so awkward it's like he's he's worse than a teenager it's like he doesn't know where his hands are supposed to go or his mouth it's it's like a space alien trying to imitate what making out is supposed to look like (laughs) and they're trying to carry on a conversation which I get but you know I've watched I've watched Sean Connery I've watched (laughs) Roger Moore I've even watched George Lazenby manage to kiss a woman and have a conversation at the same time right and not look so painfully awkward not look like a fish trying to breathe its last breath out of the fishbowl. <laughs> I mean, I kept thinking of uh, of Damon Wayne's character from In Living Color, you know, I'm rock your world. It was not okay. But uh, 
That's pretty much it. And then the uh, island blows up. And then the island blows up. It looks even more fake when it's blowing up. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. Flint saves it's literally Flint saves the world. We get five seconds worth of credits and done. Done. It is not a long drawn out done. bond ending. It is nope. It is blow up the island, save the world. 20th Century Fox. Done. 20th Century Fox done. <laughs> But it's honestly a really fun movie to watch. You know, again, I hadn't watched it for a long time, but I always remember it being entertaining. Yeah. Just it, it, being a product of what it is, of yeah. its age. I think it I think it does kind of get a little tiresome towards the end, which is kind of par for the course for any James Bond-esque movie where, you know, he's going to the secret lair and he has to blow up the secret lair and... There's lots of shooty, shooty, like running around, sneaky, sneaky type stuff, especially in the 60s. Like I think about You Only Live Twice. Right. The tail end of You Only Live Twice is a little bit of a sit. Oh, yeah. You kind of got to just be patient. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And I I think you pointed out when we finished watching the movie, the first half was significantly more engaging than the second half was. Largely because they play for laughs a A lot lot more. more. They do. It's like a comedy movie. And then you get a spy movie. It almost sort becomes of, more serious. Right. Not well, serious. It never becomes serious. No, serious. but it's more focused on being a spy movie and less about being a parody of a spy movie. Right. It's not like in Austin Powers where they're really trying to get a punchline every 30 seconds in the movie. Right. This thing turns into more or less a spy movie. Yeah, that's it's sort of like Ghosted when you think about it, right? <laughs> Except Ghosted spent its first half hour being a rom-com. Right. And then a spy movie. And this one was a spoof spy movie that turned into more or less a regular spy movie. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I think I would rate this higher than Ghosted, but I, well, I digress. You know what? I would probably watch, if I had to watch one or the other, I would probably watch this just for the ridiculousness of it yeah. and for Gila, because Gila. Because Gila. Very Because Gila. Yeah. But uh, what did you think of the movie? Tens of listeners, you should you should let us know because if there's one thing that the CIC loves, it is interaction with us. So uh, if you want to let us know what you thought of the movie, share your insights. You know, if you know some interesting trivia about our man Flint, I'm sure there's some people out there. I'm looking at you, the uh, spy command. Let us know. Get in touch. Uh, our email is cicdeadrop at gmail.com. On Instagram at Central Intelligence Cinema, separated by underscores. Or on Twitter at CIC Spy Pod. We'll be there for as long as Elon <laughs> lets us well, before it crumbles to the ground. Fortunately for us, since we work from an undisclosed location, we don't have to really worry about verification. Because we really don't. You wouldn't be able to verify us anyway since exactly. we're in an undisclosed location. We're in an unverified location. We may be the only people on Twitter in the next 60 days. <laughs> That's right. Because we don't give a fuck. <laughs> in fact, we take great effort in being unverified. <laughs> So, yeah, get in touch with us. Let us know what you thought. We're also on Facebook, too. You can find us there. Just search for Central Intelligence Cinema, and you'll see our shiny, happy logo that looks awfully similar to a other spy organization that's actually <laughs> legitimate. Um, Are you trying to say we're illegitimate? Oh, no. I'm saying we're very legit. Because if we were illegitimate, that would make us bastards, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we're just far more covert. Okay, I like it. I like it. <laughs> and we are allowed to, at times, operate on U.S. soil. That's so. right. That's right. That's right. But uh, let us know uh, what you think of us, too. You know, if you're liking these uh, Brush Pass reviews, if they're making you happy, you know, another way you can let us know that we're making you happy is you can give us a, a glowing five-star review 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that our show gets seen faster when people search for silly spy shit, just like us. I would love it if some point in time we got popular enough that typing in silly spy shit actually was something that got them right it to us. It would be fucking amazing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be great? It? I oh would my God. That. Someday, I want to make a t-shirt Someday. as well. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> I think that's just about enough. Me too. Okay. Well, with that, I'm Ben. And I'm Jason. And the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis, and more mayhem. Mayhem.